Ever have any questions? Ever uh, uh, have any issues, challenges, doubts, disappointments that uh, if uh, they were answered, you'd be good to go? You know what I mean? If you, if, if, you, if you knew what God wanted you to do, you'd do it, or you'd say it, or you'd go there, you'd give it, you'd make it happen, but uh, instead, you just got questions. Actually, um, this sermon is for you if you're a person who feels like you're just one circumstance away from bailing on this whole thing. If you're, a, if you're a person who feels like, you know what, I've asked this question of God, I've sought Him on this, and I'm not hearing anything from Him, and, uh, uh, you know, I've just kind of parked the whole God thing because He didn't come through for me. Or, uh, you know what, it's too much for me, so I'm just going to put a smile on and uh, act like I never had that question. This sermon's for, for you. Matter of fact, this sermon's for you if you have already bailed and somebody dragged you here and uh, you're doing them a favor and, uh, uh, and you're saying, you know what, um, there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to work for me because I've already given up on this thing. Too many doubts, too many questions, too many discrepancies. You know, uh, you may have read the Bible and went, really, God? says that, and they say you're a good God. Well, I haven't experienced, I used to think that, but I'm not so sure anymore. If you are in that place, this sermon um, might be helpful to you. I'm not going to tell you that your breakthrough's coming, that uh, it's going to get easy, and that uh, if you just muster up your faith, your dreams are going to come true. I think... Uh, uh, there's people you can send money to on TV for that. And if you're a person who's sitting here right now, I got complete certainty, I'm good to go. Check, check, check. Uh, then maybe something I tell you will help you help somebody else because there's some other people that I know who uh, have those questions that I've just brought up. But here's my promise or my premise to you. That if you can agree to be a wrestler, that's right, I said wrestler. Not yet. Wait till I say it first. <laughs> I would never do that if I were you. I would never agree <laughs> that fast. Um, if you will agree to be a wrestler, you, I believe, can have an authentic, real relationship with God where you love Him and love people and carry out the great commandment. And the Great Commission. Now, I know when I say, I, I said the right word wrestler, and it's kind of hard to identify. I probably talked to a couple dozen, 24 people maybe in the last several weeks about this wrestling idea, and they go, maybe you could get a different metaphor. First of all, all the women in the room aren't going to be able to relate to that. And uh, uh, actually, all the men in the room aren't going to be able to relate to that either. We haven't wrestled in forever, right? Uh, there's one school up the valley that collects the wrestlers, and they do the, the sport thing. I'm going to talk about something much deeper than the sport, though. And how important wrestling is to an authentic relationship with God and how that applies to the questions, challenges, doubts that are part for a lot of us.
And this sermon that I'm giving you, uh, you know, we, we've been talking about the uh, New Testament and Jesus for about three years and what Jesus people do. Uh, I'm going to take a second here and go to the uh, uh, most famous wrestling match in the Bible, or maybe the only one uh, that's actually physical like that. We're going to go into the Old Testament and uh, uh, talk about Jacob. You all probably, all you veterans knew where I was going with that already, that we were going to go to uh, Jacob, but I want to give you a little bit of background before we get to Genesis 32 about Jacob, because I think if you understand a little bit about him, it'll be an encouragement uh, to you also as we try and figure this thing out. What do I do with my Dallas discouragements, disappointments, and uh, uh, challenges? So Jacob, you may remember this is an Old Testament guy. Um, he's got a brother Esau. They were twins. Uh, they their dad was Isaac. And Isaac's dad was Abraham. And we have talked on a number of occasions how important Abraham is to the whole arc of the Bible and God's redemptive plan throughout uh, history. Abraham is super important with that. There was a sermon, and I can't remember when it was, uh, but I remember the sermon very well that Daniel gave about the covenant between uh, God and Abraham and uh, how Abraham was uh, this guy with this big family. Now, back then, it's all tribal and, and nomadic uh, people. And he lives over in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is over kind of Babylon where Iraq is. And out of everybody in that day, basically, they, they moved around some, but it was all in their area, kind of where they understood. And uh, out of nowhere, this guy Abraham hears this thing from God that says, pick up, go to where I will show you. And I will bless you, and you will be a, your descendants will be like the stars in the skies, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. That's the big Abrahamic covenant, the big promise. Now, how's that going to be? Now, uh, Abraham is going to pass that down to his son. Go read about how that happens. It's fascinating. And he's going to, because his son Isaac is the firstborn, going to get that same blessing and that same promise. And, uh, and then Isaac is going to give that to his sons. And he has two. I'm working it backwards now. And he has two, right? Esau and Jacob. Now they are twins. And uh, Esau uh, comes out of his mother's womb first. And uh, Jacob comes, therefore he gets the birthright. He's the one who's in line for that promise and all that Abrahamic covenant stuff. And Isaac comes second. And I mean, uh, Jacob comes second. Now actually, uh, it even says that Jacob's hand is on Isaac's heel. And he's coming out. They name him Jacob, which uh, basically means heel holder or supplanter, underminer. Come on. No, man, this is going to be fun. Uh, Supplanter, underminer, from the very get-go. How would you like it if your mom named you that? You're slimy Jacob. Sneaky Jacob. Which is kind of how it worked, by the way. When they get older, they're adults. Jacob uh, manipulates his brother into giving him his birthright. And Esau's got to be the stupidest guy on the planet, or very hungry. Don't go read that story, because it's just basically too stupid. And, and you really, you gave up your birthright, and all of that uh, for, 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 for that deal. Check that deal out. And, uh, and he gets the birthright from his uh, uh, brother, and then his, bro- his dad, Isaac, hang with me here, is old, about ready to die, can't see, and uh, Jacob, because he's got it all figured out, 
puts on some big coats, furry coats, because his brother was a hairy guy, I guess, and uh, goes into his dad to get the firstborn blessing from his dad, Isaac, and gets that. Slimy, living up to his name. That's important in a minute here. So that goes on. Now he's got the birthright. Now he's got the, the promise. He's, he, uh, and, and, they, and they are obviously at odds, and they separate. Years later, Jacob is trying to clean up his mess a little bit. And so he pursued, his brother had moved off uh, to another part of the land, and uh, now Jacob is taking his family and his livestock, and he's going to see if he can reconcile with his brother. And they start, they start to get close to where his brother lives. I'm not going to do too much geography here. But they come up to a river called Jabbok. The next day, they will run into Esau. And he doesn't know whether or not uh, Esau is going to kill him. And he kind of has a right to, doesn't he? I mean, at least through his revenge and anger. Uh, he's not sure about that. So he's going to send a bunch of stuff forward to give to him. Or if he's going to uh, have favor. That's what's going to happen. So I want to pick it up now in 32. I, you needed all that to get what's going on here in this wrestling match. Starting in Genesis 32, 22, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his uh, 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. It's a river about the size of a crystal when the crystal's flowing a little bit more. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Now get this, so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. That's all we get on this thing. Jacob was left alone. Let's start there first. What do you think he was doing? Well, tomorrow is the big day. Tomorrow is the day he encounters his brother. I think he's praying. God, I'm trying to clean up my mess. I'm trying to make this right with my brother. Give me favor uh, with my brother. Make this work out. I know I've been a sliming guy, but I, I'm, giving, I'm doing my best here. You know, make this work. And then out of nowhere, I guess, a guy shows up. Now, that's all we get right there. So I'm kind of speculating on what's going on here. But I think he's praying. And he looks over and this guy's standing there. and goes, excuse me, this is my campsite. No, the guy doesn't go away. Matter of fact, I think the guy even comes closer and taps him on the shoulder. Hey, man, this is my spot. And the guy even gives him a nudge and shoves him. Can you see I'm trying to pray here? Can you, yeah. Have you ever had somebody run in on your, you've reserved it and they come into your camp spot? It's your spot? I have. You have. I didn't get in a wrestling match. I just said, get out of here. And, uh, and he wouldn't leave. This guy wouldn't leave. This is starting to get odd. I don't know how it goes from get out of my camp spot to fighting. Now this is not, it says wrestling. Put it back up. It says uh, they, uh, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. It means struggled. They struggled. This is not a wrestling match between uh, a dad and his sons. You know, hey son, you know, throw him around a little bit and toughen him up a little bit. It's not a wrestling match between friends that you're really getting after it, but then you pat each other on the back. That's not the concept here. The concept here, this is a fight. This breaks out into a fight. Turns into, it's serious too. Jacob actually gets hurt in this fight permanently. Part of his hip is injured, a tendon in his hip is injured, and he'll walk with a limp the rest of his life because of this fight right here. 
That is not uh, just going down on the mat on the weekend, seeing if you can get a trophy. This is a real full-on fight. And Jacob, what's interesting to me about this, apparently it starts with Jacob focused on this, and then it gets focused on this, and then it starts to escalate. And then you get this picture at the end of, uh, of the verse, or the next verse. Uh, then the man said, now let me pick it up in 25, throw 25, yep. Uh, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob. So the man could not overpower Jacob. What does that tell you about Jacob? What, you, what does that tell you about this uh, wrestling thing? He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Okay, now if this is just a guy who showed up at your campsite and you're having a fight, and it's just escalated violence, we can understand that pretty easy. This is way harder than that. Way weirder than that. The circumstances of this are way different. And we can see that in how Jacob starts to react. At first, you were having a wrestling match, and it says, let me go. Jacob won't let him go. Why won't he let him go? Jacob says in, uh, is it in that one? I will not let you go unless you bless me. How did it go from a stranger who showed up to a guy who can bless him? Jacob started to realize who this is or, wh or what this is, that he is wrestling with the divine. That's how the blessing comes, right? Okay, so if that hasn't caused you a little question already, caused you to wrestle with that idea a little bit, think of this. The God of the universe who spoke it all into existence, who could speak, just put his finger on you and smush you into nothing, shows up and says, I want to wrestle. He wants to wrestle. Now, uh, I play, I got a, Scott, you're in the house. Yeah, I'm talking about you, man. Scott and I played tennis back in the day before the wrist went back. Now, bad. Now, Scott is a 5.5, like 6 something, right? Like 9.3. <laughs> tennis player. Almost pro. College player. Uh, I'm like, give me a ball, throw me a ball when I'm two and a half. Maybe. Two or three. <laughs> Rated. Okay. So when we're playing, he says we're playing social tennis. Social tennis means that Scott likes hanging out with me, and at any given time, if he wanted to, he could just swing the ball and hit me right in the chest with it, and I would cry and go home. <laughs> because that's the kind of tennis player Scott is. It was social. You would think this would be social. God of the universe shows up, and he puts his hand on your forehead, and you're like a little kid swinging, but you can never touch him. That's not what's happening here. This apparently is not a game. And God shows up, and, and what? Jacob can get a hold of him. Let me go. I have to go. I think this is a fascinating insight into God. That God wants to wrestle. Most of the time we think about God wanting to show up and be, you know, your counselor. Tell me about that. Tell me how you feel. Oh, that's not the picture here. The picture here is let's fight. And, and Jacob does. And he recognizes who he's fighting with. And he, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I think, well, you and I, I, at least not yet, 
I have not been in an actual uh, physical wrestling match with God. I have been in a psychological, spiritual, and emotional wrestling with, match with him many times. I got questions that are not answered. And if you would answer them for me, I'll know where to go. I'll know what to do. I'll know what to give. I'll know what to say. Any minute now, God. Uh, I guess it's just me. We wrestle with God all the time. What's the interesting thing is, God wants to wrestle with you. Jacob cries out, bless me. Now what is the blessing that he gets? Fascinating here. He says, uh, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And by the way, I don't think this was just being opportunistic. Hey, how often do you get to wrestle with God? Give me something good, God. No, no, no. There's something more important here. Because look at what the man says. What is your name? 27. What is your name? Jacob. This man wants him to say it. Jacob. You know, what does that mean? Oh, Jacob. What does that mean? Uh, Yeah. The claim jumper. The slimy guy. That's your whole shtick. That's your name. Why does he have him call that out? The next part. Give me the next one. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. This is the coolest thing ever, by the way. Your name will no longer be Jacob. It will be Israel. Now why is that important? Because Jacob, his real question wasn't as he was praying about how this would go over here with his brother Esau. The real question on his heart is, am I legit? I stole this whole thing, this whole promise. Is this legit for me? Am I really the real deal? And God, he gets it from his natural father, but his, his heavenly father says, I'm going to give you a new name. You are legit. Yes, you were slimy. Yes, that's how you did it. But now, I'm going to call you Israel. And I'm not only going to call you Israel, all my people after that will be called Israel. And you and I are grafted into that very name, Israel. Isn't that fascinating? He gets a new name, because what he gets when he gets that name is he gets the promise The Abrahamic ark is now a part of of Jacob, of Israel now. Wow, what a blessing that is. His heavenly father makes him legit even though. And this this is such good news for us slimy folks. You know? Who can look at what we've done and aren't too proud of that. I don't know how God in his mercy even wants to wrestle with us. Interesting thing though. I, I, I just think it's fascinating how Jacob, um, you know, he could have been like, this guy shows up, he's praying about his brother Esau, guy shows up, he looks over there and goes, oh, is this your spot? Okay. And goes to another spot. Or, more likely, this is how we kind of do the Christian life, guy shows up, sees the guy, hey, get out of here, man, it's my spot. No, it's my spot. Okay. They start fighting, oh, you're pretty tough, I'm out of here. He didn't get a blessing from that. He gets a blessing because he has the grit, determination to grab on and hold on and say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving off of this thing. 
I don't know the answer to my question. I don't know how this is going to go, but I need a blessing from you. All right, what's your name? Your name's Slimy. Not anymore. It's Israel. Here's the thing that brought me to this text in the first place, personally. I was thinking about the redemptive mission of God's people over the course of history, and uh, why were they called Israel, and I knew that it was because of the story that I just told you, but, uh, you know, it says what it means. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and overcome. You know what Israel means? It means wrestles with God. Wrestles, struggles with God. God's people are going to be called struggles with God. Now, if I'm God, and I'm doing a marketing thing, and I'm getting around on a whiteboard, and we're starting to draw pictures about what we, how we could market this thing really good, I'm not coming up with wrestles with God. I'm coming up with God's redemptive people. I'm coming up with the, uh, uh, the forgiveness guys. I'm coming up with uh, uh, shalom people. Or I'm coming up with the people of purpose. Because that's what's supposed to happen out of this Abrahamic promise. And, and, and no, he calls them wrestles with God. The meaning of that is significant, if you think about it, because, okay, we're going to be called wrestles with God, which means, what are we going to do? Wrestle with God. The people who actually wrestle with God are going to be the people who bring about God's redemptive purposes in the world and in the future. And why will that happen? Because they got a good plan, because they organized, they got some good buildings, and they got great pastors, and they got all that kind of stuff so we can move it forward. No, because they wrestled with God. When they were in a situation that they didn't know how it was going to turn out, when they're just about, they're filled with doubt, they stayed there. I'm not going anywhere. That's what wrestling looks like now. I'm not going anywhere. Until I get something from you. And somehow, out of that, God works his redemptive purposes. Think about the ramifications of that. If this is your first day at church, I'm sorry. Because I basically, you thought you were going to get like warm, fuzzy stuff and how much we love you. And, and uh, here's a puppy. But it's not that, is it? Why is it not that way? That's not even real. Real is what's really on your heart. Real is what's really challenging you. Right? Look what happens. 32. Next, uh, then the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. I'll not let you go until you bless me. Then what is your name? Jacob said, then your name will be no longer Jacob but Israel because you've struggled. And then Jacob says in verse 29, please tell me your name. And then he blessed him there. He didn't tell him his name, by the way. Why? Because he was wrestling with God. God doesn't tell you his name. How do I know? Because look at what Jacob names this place. Next verse down, I think. So Jacob called the place Peniel. Peniel, it's because I, I saw God face to face, and yet he spared my life. See, what happens is, when any, in the Old Testament, anytime a covenant is made or something cool happens, they name the place that. So when the kids are walking by the next generation, yeah, this is where that happened. So the men, you know, people name it. God doesn't do that. He names the man. He doesn't name the place. 
But Jacob does what he can do, and he names the place. And he names it what happened. What happened in the wrestling, when he got the blessing, is he saw the face of God. That is the equal, that's on the other side of the equal sign. That's the whole point. I started here, and I was wrestling about this thing I'm going to face with my brother Esau, and I need you to come here, and by the time we're done, I don't even care about that. I saw the face of God. And the face of God in my struggle is all I need. I didn't think that, but now I know that, and I named the place Peniel. So, the people of God will wrestle with God, and as they wrestle with God, they will see God, and out of seeing God, they will be a blessing, and they will love God and love people throughout the generations, and the restoration of all things will happen because they do that. Now, what's interesting about that is God's people who were called Israel basically stunk at this arrangement. The history of the Old Testament is a bunch of people who didn't do this, Matter of fact, usually they got to themselves, decided who's in and who's out, tried to keep those who were out, out, and uh, uh, they weren't a blessing to anybody other than the fact, of course, that they preserved the word and kept the lineage for Jesus to come and solve the, the whole thing in a big way. But for the most part, they stunk at it. Uh, and for the most part, most of Christianity is kind of uh, not really wrestling with God. Matter of fact, most people think that we are really certain about things, right? All those people there, they believe it, but I can't believe it. I just don't know about that. I don't know if I can believe that. I think wrestling with God starts with a question. Starts with a circumstance. It starts with a challenge. It starts with a disappointment. It starts with a doubt. Oh, now I'm actually saying the doubt is important. What is the opposite of doubt? I've asked a couple dozen people that in the last couple weeks. Every single one of them, really smart people, have told me faith is the opposite of doubt. Well, if doubt means I don't know or I'm not certain, it's pretty clear what the opposite of that means. It means I am certain. Certainty is the opposite of doubt. Matter of fact, certainty is when you've got, you know this, you check this, I've got this, we're good. But I don't think that's, that faith has, uh, is, that, that certainty has a corner on faith. Matter of fact, I think that faith dances with doubt better. Why do I see the face of God? I see the face of God because I'm operating in faith even though I don't have the answers, even though I don't know what's gonna happen, even though I can't tell you why you haven't been healed, even though I don't, I read this in the Bible and I go, what? You know? But I'm sticking it out. I'm staying here. This is where I'm at, wrestling with God. Like the opposite of that is professional wrestling, right? Professional wrestling, I mean, it's entertainment, and it's in front of everybody else. It's all in front of everybody else, and they know, I hate to tell you this, it's like Santa Claus thing, uh, they know who's going to win. They've already, that is already certain, even with all of that uh, flexing and throwing around and they know who's going to win. No, this is mano y mano, or how about mano y Dios? You and God, wrestling it out by yourself. I don't know, God. I don't know. And I don't know how you could do this and then say that. 
And I don't know why I'm like this. When you say I'm supposed to be like that. And I don't know if I can believe this, what it says right there. I actually think that doubt is more important than certainty. And that you see the face of God closer to that than you do in your certainty. Now I get it. I 100% get it that you came to church to have a preacher tell you about how certain he was. If there was anybody you wanted to be, have be certain, it would be me. I don't know about this stuff, but I'm pretty sure he does, and I need to know he does, because if he doesn't, then we're in some deep weeds, because none of us do. And I got to tell you, I got questions. I've been at this 35 years, and, and uh, I got more questions than when I started, to be honest with you. I went into uh, Taco Bell two weeks ago, and uh, my car was getting the tires rotated, and I went in, and I was going to get some lunch, and I got my lunch, and I turned, and there was this guy I haven't seen in 10 years. Well, I actually saw him three weeks ago, but hadn't seen him before that 10 years, uh, a pastor that I used to know. And um, I go, oh, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, yeah, I saw you three weeks ago when we were in Denver, but we didn't have time to talk. I thought, man, that's got to be an appointment, and there it was at Taco Bell. And so I said, whoa, what's going on? He did the, uh, how's the orchard going? And I go, well, we're loving God and loving people. That's what we're doing. And, uh, oh, yeah, good, good, yeah. Um, But then, you know me, I'm good with awkward. I just turned and said, hey, man, what happened to you? Ten years ago, he was a pastor of a church, and and, uh, I guess he got into a bunch of trouble, and his family blew up, and I don't even know the whole story. But I wasn't asking for him to confirm uh, what I'd heard or not heard. I was interested in what happened to him. Here's what he said. I couldn't believe it anymore. I, I, I had too many questions that I couldn't find the answers to. And I couldn't believe it anymore. What questions? Would that be your question? That's what you'd ask too, right? Want to see how hard it is. Maybe I'll answer it for him right there. And he'll go, oh, I never knew that. God, I wish I had talked to you 10 years ago. I said, what questions? And he gives me these questions, and I go, man, I got some of those same questions. What did you do? I asked him, what did you do? And he goes, you know, I'll tell you what. I, I, I had to know the answers to my questions, and I, I went around the country, and I talked to top scholars, biblical scholars at various colleges that have wrote the books that we all know, and he quoted some of them, and uh, I asked them my questions, and I tried to get the answers from them, and uh, their, their uh, answers, uh, uh, they just didn't sit right, like they weren't legit for me. And then I went to, and, he, and then he gives me the list, and then I went to the most prominent preachers uh, in the country, and he gave me a list of those that he went to, and uh, I went, man, I could never get an appointment with them, no matter how hard I tried. But he got in there somehow, talked with them, and the answers weren't sufficient. This is what he told me. And he said, and therefore, I just couldn't believe it, and I bailed. How are you doing it, Charlie? And my answer uh, was more of a testimony answer. I cannot deny what God has done in my life, so I'm sticking with it. I thought that was a pretty good answer, but then I thought about it more. I thought about it more, and I thought about what he did, and I got a little bit of insight into that. Because what he did is he, with his questions, went to the most prominent people 
that he could find, the most expert witnesses that he could find to see if those answers were good enough. And what they did was they had a conversation about God. And in that conversation about God, which by the way is what religion is, conversation about God. And he has those conversations and then, and then he determined himself as the judge that it's not good enough. It doesn't work. Which, by the way, is the very first religious conversation that ever happened. Eve is in this garden, and the serpent starts talking to her. You think he would have said to, to Adam next to her, get a load of that, a, ser- a snake is talking. That's kind of weird in itself. I always thought that was kind of weird. You guys are certain about that one, huh? Wow, snake is talking. Maybe they did that back then. But what did the snake say is even more important. What did God tell you? And he says, he said, she said, we can have anything we want, but we just can't eat from that tree of good and evil because we'll surely die. Oh, you won't surely die. And she says, really? God must, be, God must not be that good that he would try and keep that from us. And then they do that, right? That's the first religious conversation. As if God weren't in the room. What should Eve have done? Now, she didn't do this, so I'm just speculating. What should Eve have done? First of all, whoa, a talking snake. And then second of all, <laughs> gone. Uh, then the second of all, gone. Where's God? Gone and find him and said, you know what this snake just said to me? He said that you were trying to keep that from us and that that, in fact, is a really good thing. Why would you tell us it's a bad thing? And then what is God going to say? Oh, I'm so sorry. Really, I am good. Trust me on this. No way. God turns and says, well, what do you think? Well, you know what I think is I'm not exactly sure. Because you never said that, and you never said that a snake was going to be talking to me about that, and I'm not exactly sure about that. Okay, well, what are you sure about? I don't know how this goes. I'm making this up. But I'm pretty sure it ends up like, God is not just going to make this easy on her. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's going to be face to face. He's going to draw us in so that we can experience him face to face. Instead of a conversation about him, it's going to be a conversation with him. That is critical to the whole thing. And we're not going to even have a conversation with him if we don't wrestle with him. If we don't just take it on, say, I'm not quitting, I'm not moving, I'm not going from this place right now. Yeah, I got doubts. I mean, there may be some of you who don't have doubts. You are not asking the right questions. But don't go figure out the answer to those and then, and then decide on God. Why not do it with him? Because that's what he called you. Wrestlers with God. He called you that. He called you that. Don't run away from it. Run to it. And then it doesn't mean it's easy. And he may not, he may not ever even give you the answer to what you were asking for. Hopefully not. Hopefully at the end of the day, what you've experienced is the face of God and everything's different because you've got that. Some of those you might even take all the way to your grave and then you're gonna get the answer. But the answer wasn't as important as experiencing him. The answer wasn't as important as wrestling with him. If, 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 if the world out there knows anything about us, they ought to know that we're authentic because we're real 
because we're not trying to BS and say, I got it all figured out and I got all the checkbooks and we got all these things that we believe. No, we're a people who are seeking God in God's face and wrestling with him. This ought to be the place where you ought to be comfortable with your doubts. I know you didn't come here to hear a preacher who doesn't have certainty. I'm pretty certain just about a few things. Jesus is the main thing. I'm gonna love God and I'm gonna love people. That's kind of taking a lifetime to do that. There's a lot of things that I'm still wrestling with and I can tell you, just even recently, I felt God say, because I was agonizing over some things. And I, and, I, and I felt God say to me, I heard this and then went to the scripture. He says, you want to wrestle. The God of the universe wanted to wrestle with me. The God of the universe wants to wrestle with you. He's basically trying to pick a fight with you. He's basically tapping you on your shoulder and saying, you're in my spot. I'm not going to tell you the answers. No, I'm not going to tell you the answers. I'm going to tell you Jesus is the answer. Oh, this got a lot harder today. Oh, this got a lot tougher today, didn't it? As you take communion today, you're going to take the bread, which is a symbol of his body that was given for you. You're going to take the cup, which was the blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins and the new covenant of his blood. And as you do that, and here's what I'm going to ask you to say to God, if you've got the guts, let's wrestle. Let's wrestle. If you've got the guts, say, let's wrestle. Because, here's the deal. Jesus, you want to talk about wrestling, he's in a garden, and what is he doing? Sweating drops of blood. Is there any other way? Is this the only way? Is there any way this cup could pass from me? Is there something else we could do? And you say, well, he's God. He should have known there's no other way. And his father's probably saying, nope, there's no other way. No, it's a wrestling match, God. Matter of fact, he was alone in that. And then he got up and he went to the cross. And that's what we celebrate right here. Because he wrestled for you so that you could wrestle with him and see his face. My premise says that you will experience God if you decide to wrestle. You will be authentic if you decide to wrestle. So when you take communion, step up, get on the mat, and start wrestling. Let's pray.